0: Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence, trauma, and hate crimes that some may find offensive. We advise caution for children under 13. In
1: 1841, a man named Solomon Northup was working as a musician for a traveling circus when he was lured to Washington, D.C. under false pretenses. When he arrived in the city, he was drugged, kidnapped and
0: sold as a slave. He had lived the first 32 years of his life as a free man in the state of New York. At the time of his abduction, Solomon was married with three beloved children. For 12 long years, he endured
1: unimaginable hardship, living as a slave on a Louisiana cotton plantation. In all of that time, Solomon Northup never stopped fighting for his freedom. Finally, through perseverance and bravery, Solomon escaped slavery and returned north. He wrote a detailed account
0: of his experience, titled Twelve Years a Slave. But that was far from the end of Solomon's story. On a warm summer's night in Canada in 1857, Solomon was scheduled to give a lecture on the abolitionist movement, but never delivered his speech. Instead, Solomon Northup, Vanished.
1: For the second time, Solomon had disappeared without a trace. But this time, history never found him.
0: Hi, I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Molly. Welcome to Gone, the show where we search for
0: everything missing. Each week, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned, from the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it.
1: You can find previous episodes
0: as well as Parcast's other podcasts on your favorite podcast directory. Some of you have been asking how you can support Gone. If you enjoy the show. The best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen.
1: Today, we'll be investigating the disappearance of famed writer and abolitionist Solomon Northup, a man who was born free but lived as a slave for 12 years. After returning to his life as a free man, Solomon Northup mysteriously disappeared again years later in the summer of 1857.
0: To this day, his fate is unknown. Could he have been murdered? Was he abducted and sold into slavery a second time? Did he become a spy for the Union Army during the Civil War and never return? Or did he, as some believe, die a natural death in the Canadian wilderness? We'll dive into all of these theories and more on this episode of Gone.
1: The 1800s were a turbulent time for the United States. The country was still young, and already there was conflict and division. By 1804, slavery had been abolished in all of the northern states,
0: but it was still an abundant and thriving industry in the south. Solomon Northup's father, Mintus, was born a slave, but was later freed when his master, Captain Henry Northup, died and granted him his freedom in his will.
1: Mintus moved to upstate New York and married Solomon's mother, a free woman of color. When Solomon Northup was born on July 10, 1808,
0: he, like both his parents, was legally free. Although Solomon didn't attend school, his parents were able to provide him with an exceptional home education. It's likely that Mintus was given an education when he was a slave to Captain Northup, which he then passed down to his son. Solomon married
1: his wife Anne Hampton in 1828 when he was about 20 years old. For four years, Solomon and Anne lived in rural New York in the Saratoga area. They had three children, Elizabeth, Margaret,
0: and Alonzo. Solomon Northup worked a number of jobs to make ends meet. He was employed at various times as a farmer, carpenter and a raft builder, but he also gained a reputation as an excellent fiddle player. He was often in high demand locally as a musician.
1: In 1841, when he was 32 years old, Solomon met two white men who introduced themselves as Merrill Brown and Abram Hamilton. Work had been scarce that year and Solomon had been struggling to find employment. Brown and Hamilton told him that they were members of a traveling circus company. They were in desperate need of a musician
0: for their performances in New York City, almost 200 miles away. Solomon accepted the offer. He didn't tell his wife Anne where he was going, as he assumed the job would be over quickly and he'd be back home in no time. But to his surprise, as soon as the shows in New York were over... Brown and Hamilton begged Solomon to travel with them to Washington, D.C. to play more shows with them. The problem was that slavery was still legal in Washington, D.C.
1: In fact, the city was the site of some of the largest and most profitable slave markets in the entire country. Even though Solomon was legally a free man, kidnappings of free people of color were all too common. Over 300 kidnappings have been documented, and it's estimated that
0: thousands more occurred that went unrecorded. But Brown and Hamilton offered Solomon more money, more than he could turn down. Northup would later write that, quote, danger to my personal safety never suggested itself to me in the remotest manner, end quote, despite the fact that he would be going into such inhospitable territory. He agreed to go to Washington, D.C., bringing a copy of his papers that documented his status as a free man as he headed south.
1: The decision would prove to be a tragic one. Shortly after arriving in Washington, D.C., Hamilton and Brown drugged Solomon with Belladonna. He awoke in chains in a pitch-black room. His papers
0: were gone. Back in New York, his wife Anne and their three children had no way of knowing where he was. If he had attempted to write to them before leaving for DC, there's no record of them receiving his letter. As far as they knew, he had just vanished.
1: Solomon was sold to a slave trader named James Birch for $650. Solomon tried to tell his captors that he was a free man and was being sold illegally, but when he did so, He was beaten almost to the point of death. Fearing for his life, Solomon stopped claiming that he was free. James Birch then shipped Solomon to Louisiana
0: under the false pretense that he was a slave from Georgia. On the boats, Solomon met an English sailor who agreed to send a letter that detailed his kidnapping to his lawyer and childhood friend, Henry Northup, a white man working as an attorney in New York. The shared last name is no coincidence. Henry was the nephew of Solomon's father's old master, the one who had freedom in his will. This letter miraculously reached
1: Solomon's friends and family back in New York. They now knew that he was alive and enslaved, but they had no idea where he was or how to find him.
0: After he was sent down the river to New Orleans, Solomon Northup was given the name Platt, which the slavers forced on him to help erase Northup's true identity. He was sold to a man named William Ford. Solomon described Ford as a good and generous man quote, who was blinded to the wrong of the system of slavery end quote.
1: As Ford's slave, Solomon put his carpentry skills to good use. He helped him with the mills and movement of lumber up and down the river. For a while, Solomon's situation was better than the brutality many slaves found themselves faced with. Unfortunately, Ford had debts he needed to pay off and soon sold Solomon to John Thibault, a
0: carpenter who was working on Ford's land. Unlike Ford, Thibault was short-tempered and turned violent at the drop of a hat. Thibault immediately butted heads with Solomon, a man who, even in slavery, stood his ground and refused to be beaten into submission.
1: Thiebaud tried to kill Solomon twice. The first time, Thiebaud tried to hang him with the help of his friends, but they were stopped in the nick of time by one of John Ford's overseers. Solomon was left tied up for hours
0: until Ford returned and helped him. The second time, Solomon and Thibault got in an argument over the building materials Solomon was using. Thibault attacked Solomon with an axe, intent on killing him. Solomon was able to fight him off and survived, but he had to flee through dense swamplands to escape punishment. He was soon captured again, and shortly after that incident, Thibault sold Solomon to Edwin Epps, the owner of a cotton plantation in southern Louisiana.
1: Epps was even more violent and unpredictable than Thibault. He was notoriously cruel, and Solomon later wrote that Epps would whip and beat slaves, quote, from sundown until lights out, end quote.
0: Solomon was Edwin Epps' slave for ten long years, enduring unimaginable torment during that time. In all of this time,
1: Solomon never told anyone that he was legally a free man, or even what his real name was. He knew that Louisiana was not a place that would be welcoming towards a free man of color, and he feared what his owners would do to him if he tried to assert his freedom. After all, he had no proof and no allies around to help
0: him. Solomon also knew that Epps was the type of person who would hold on to his property at all costs and would do whatever was necessary to make sure none of his slaves went free. Solomon would have to be both patient and careful in planning his escape.
1: His patience eventually paid off. In 1852, a Canadian carpenter named Samuel Bass traveled to Epps Plantation to do work on his estate.
0: Solomon overheard Bass talking in favor of abolition and decided that he might be someone he could confide in. It was a risk, but it was one that Solomon would have to take. He hadn't told anyone about his past since trying to prove his freedom in Washington, D.C., Now, a decade later, he would finally tell Samuel.
1: Samuel Bass wrote several letters for Solomon, even though this could have landed him in jail for helping a slave escape. Epps was also a notoriously violent man, and he could have attacked or killed Bass out of anger if the letters were found. But regardless of the danger, Bass sent the letters north to Solomon's friend and attorney, Henry Northup.
0: Solomon and Samuel were very careful when writing the letters to never reveal Solomon's exact location or his true name. If the letters fell into the wrong hands, Solomon would undoubtedly be killed for plotting to escape. The search that
1: followed was a huge undertaking for Solomon's wife Anne, the lawyer Henry Northup,
0: and the state of New York. In 1840, New York had passed a law to protect its black residents by providing legal and financial help to those who were wrongfully abducted and sold into slavery out of state. Henry Northup asked the governor for help with Solomon's case and he appointed the New York Attorney General as Solomon's legal agent. The governor's interest may have been political
1: to appeal to the abolitionist population of the northern state or he may
0: have taken a personal interest in Solomon's plight. While his allies mobilized in the north, Solomon Northup had no idea if his letters had even reached anyone, or worse, if someone unfriendly had intercepted them. If Epps heard even whispers of what Solomon and Bass were doing, disaster would have followed for both of them.
1: Eventually... After months of tirelessly investigating, traveling across the South from plantation to plantation, Henry Northup managed to find Solomon on January 3, 1853.
0: That Henry managed to find Solomon at all was a miracle in itself. We can only imagine how Solomon felt when he saw his friend arrive at the plantation after 12 long years of slavery. Henry
1: gave Edwin Epps evidence that proved beyond a doubt Solomon's true identity and status as a free man. Epps, of course, was furious. He reportedly said that, quote, if he had known men were coming to take Solomon, he would never have let them take him alive, end quote.
0: Epps also threatened to kill the person that helped Solomon. But luckily, even though Samuel Bass was a known abolitionist, He had taken every precaution to keep his actions hidden from Epps. On January 4, 1853, Edwin
1: Epps signed papers renouncing any claim he had to Solomon Northup. Now 42 years old, Solomon was once again a free man.
0: Solomon and Henry had won the battle, but they hadn't won the war. On their way up north, they stopped in Washington, D.C., the place where Solomon's nightmare had begun.
1: There, Henry filed a legal complaint against James Birch, the slave trader who had illegally sold Solomon and shipped him to Louisiana. Birch was quickly arrested, but it was not going to be easy
0: for them to prove his guilt. At that time in Washington, D.C., there was a law that prohibited black men from testifying against white citizens. This meant that Solomon Northup couldn't testify or give any evidence against James Birch during the trial.
1: Instead, Birch made the outrageous claim that Solomon had approached him 12 years ago and told him that he was a slave for sale. With no one to provide
0: counter-evidence, Birch was found not guilty and walked free. Solomon also tried to file charges against Brown and Hamilton, the two men with the traveling circus company, but they were proving hard to find. Unbeknownst to Solomon, they had used fake names and carefully covered their tracks after leaving the city 12 years before. But things took a surprising turn in Solomon's favor on January 20, 1853, when the New York Times published an in-depth article about Solomon's kidnapping, recovery, and failed trial against James Birch. Solomon's incredible story gained the attention of the entire country.
1: Now reunited with his family and a national media sensation to boot, Solomon wrote and published
0: what would soon become his famed memoir, Twelve Years a Slave. The book became an instant bestseller, selling over 30,000 copies in three years, an impressive feat for its time. It was read by famed abolitionist Frederick Douglass, who praised both the writing and Solomon Northup's endurance.
1: One of the book's many readers was a judge named Thaddeus St. John. When St. John read Solomon's descriptions of the men who had called themselves Brown and Hamilton, he immediately recognized them as
0: his old friends, Alexander Merrill and Joseph Russell. During the time of Solomon's kidnapping, St. John had seen Merrill and Russell traveling with a black man, and he remembered that they had asked him not to use their real names around him. When they returned from Washington, D.C., Marilyn Russell were wearing expensive new clothes and cracking jokes about money they had just come into. With
1: St. John's help, the two men were identified and arrested in the state of New York. Fortunately, in New York State, Solomon Northup would be legally able to testify against his captors.
0: The trial was long and drawn out. Each side argued over whether the crime had occurred in New York, where Solomon's testimony could be used, or whether it had happened in Washington, D.C., where it couldn't. Two years of appeals followed after the start of the trial. During that time, a new attorney general was appointed in New York. He decided to drop the case in 1857, long after the trial had disappeared from the newspapers. The case automatically moved to Washington, D.C., where in the absence of Solomon's testimony, the authorities decided not to charge Merrill and Russell. The two kidnappers,
1: like James Birch, went free. They saw no punishment for their actions.
0: By 1855, Solomon Northup was living with his daughter, Margaret, and her husband in rural New York. It's believed that he took up carpentry and farming again, though he never returned to playing the fiddle.
1: Soon after he regained his freedom, Solomon became prominent in the abolitionist movement. He started giving lectures and speeches across the Northeast, reading passages from his book that detailed the horrors he had lived through as a slave. Evidence also suggests that Solomon became involved with the Underground Railroad, helping other slaves escape to freedom in the
0: North. In the summer of 1857, Solomon Northup was invited to Canada for a series of lectures. The last mention of him in the press states that he had been in Streetsville, Ontario, and was about to give a speech when the crowd turned hostile and he was forced to flee. That was the last recorded time that Solomon Northup was seen publicly.
1: The exact details of his disappearance are unknown.
0: The events surrounding the end of Solomon Northup's life are like a blank page. And it's a mystery that continues to baffle historians to this day.
1: Now, here's our tip of the week. And now, back to the story.
0: What happened to Solomon Northup? Did his life end in Canada in 1857? Or did circumstances lead to him removing himself from the watchful eye of the public? In the years following his disappearance, theories about what happened to Solomon began to run wild. The first, and one of the most prominently held beliefs, is that
1: Solomon was murdered specifically by one of his enemies from his past. Who would have been responsible for his demise if
0: this theory is true? None of the men that Solomon publicly outed as illegal slavers were ever put behind bars. They would have had good reason to want to silence Solomon permanently. Could Birch, Russell, or Merrill, either working independently or together, have killed Solomon Northup?
1: As the United States veered closer and closer to war, with slavery at the center of the cultural divide, laws surrounding slavery and the rights of states were rapidly changing. Merrill, Russell, and Birch may have feared that they would once again be put on trial for the kidnapping and enslavement of Solomon Northup, only this time the
0: laws and public opinion might not be in their favor as they once were. Merrill and Russell were especially lucky to escape punishment after the two-year-long legal battle they had faced. If anyone had reason to silence Solomon Northup for good and put an end to any possibility of another trial, it likely would have been the two of them.
1: We don't know what happened to Merrill and Russell after Solomon's case against them was dropped. This is unsurprising as the case was no longer being reported on, and they had also proven themselves to be capable
0: conmen who could disappear when they needed to. A separate murder theory is that it wasn't Merrill or Russell who killed Solomon, but one of Solomon's former masters who sought revenge against him for escaping slavery.
1: Edwin Epps, the plantation owner who enslaved Solomon for over a decade, had said that if he had known men would be taking Solomon away, he would have killed him himself before that could happen. Northup's own accounts describe Epps as an unforgiving sadist who would be unlikely to let go of any slights against
0: him. But there's no concrete evidence to suggest that Epps had a hand in Northup's disappearance. It would have been incredibly difficult for him to travel the 1,500 miles from Louisiana to Canada in the mid-1800s. He may have hired someone to do it for him, but even then, coordinating such a job would have been challenging at best.
1: Birch, Merrill, Russell, Epps, even Thibault, all of these men had reason to want Solomon dead. But there's no hard evidence to tie them to his disappearance. Perhaps after Solomon's failed court cases, they really did let the matter rest.
0: A third murder theory that's been suggested is that Solomon Northup was murdered, but not by anyone that he knew personally. Solomon's involvement in abolitionist groups and the Underground Railroad may well have given him new enemies to worry about.
1: Before the publication of 12 Years a Slave, the most famous anti-slavery publication at the time was Uncle Tom's Cabin, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, a white woman. With Solomon Northup's book, people were reading a vivid account of the horrors of slavery from someone who had actually lived through it.
0: Northup showed no signs of slowing down his abolitionist efforts after the release of his memoir. He booked over two dozen speaking engagements many of which were directly supported by abolitionist groups.
1: Anti-abolitionists may have wanted to put an end to Solomon Northup to further their own agendas and preserve the status quo.
0: How much water does this theory hold? Well, history lacks any concrete evidence of foul play. But we do know from witness accounts that the crowd Northup was scheduled to speak to in Ontario became so angry and hostile that he was forced to flee the venue. Could someone have taken advantage of the chaos and followed him that night?
1: The abrupt and mysterious nature of Solomon's disappearance birthed another theory, one just as sinister as murder. This is the theory that he was sold into slavery once more.
0: Sixteen years earlier, in 1841, Solomon had been drugged, kidnapped, and sold into slavery. In the eyes of his friends and family, he had vanished into thin air. So when Solomon disappeared a second time, the circumstances seemed eerily familiar. Some people, naturally, started to
1: wonder if what happened before had happened again.
0: Could Solomon have been kidnapped a second time? Many believed that he was, including Henry Northup, the man who had gone to such great lengths to help him escape slavery in 1853. In
1: 1858, one newspaper article wrote, quote, It is said that Solomon Northup, who was kidnapped, sold as a slave, and afterwards recovered and restored to freedom, has been again decoyed south and is again a slave, end quote.
0: Henry Northup reportedly agreed with this conclusion. He was quoted in the Daily Enquirer as saying that Solomon was living as a slave once more.
1: What evidence Henry might have had to support this belief is unknown. Did he receive communication from Solomon, but was unable to locate him as he did the first time Solomon was kidnapped?
0: The timing of Solomon's disappearance adds another layer of difficulty to the investigation. If Solomon had been enslaved once more, it would have been almost impossible to seek help as he had before. The Civil War officially broke out in 1861, four years after Solomon's disappearance. The war raged for four years, leading to an unprecedented death toll of 620,000 Americans killed on both sides.
1: If Solomon was again kidnapped and sold into slavery,
0: the chaos and violence that ripped through the country would have
1: made finding him all
0: the more impossible. It was extremely difficult for Solomon to communicate with his friends and family in the North during his previous 12 years as a slave. If he had found himself in a similar situation once more, only now with a widespread war added into the mix. Any correspondence he tried to send home was even less likely to make it to his allies. And searching for him in the midst of battles and bloodshed would have been even harder.
1: Historians say it's unlikely Solomon was kidnapped and sold into slavery a second time. Solomon would have been much older and passed his prime around the time of his disappearance. This means he wouldn't have had much value as a slave. It would also have been an extraordinarily difficult undertaking for slavers to covertly transport him from the north to the southern states without being caught.
0: To make matters more difficult, at this point, Solomon was also a relatively famous figure. If he had been returned to slavery, it's likely that he would have quickly been recognized and the public would have found out about it.
1: One of the most prevalent theories held by historians is an exceedingly simple one, that Solomon Northup died of natural causes while he was traveling, most likely due to illness or a stroke. Solomon Northup is estimated to have been around 50 years old at the time of his disappearance. While this might not seem very old by today's standards, the years that Northup spent as a slave would have taken a drastic toll
0: on him. When Solomon was brought to New Orleans as a slave, after just one day on land, he contracted smallpox. This illness ravaged his body and nearly killed him. Northup went blind for three whole days, and it took 16 more for him to be considered well enough to be sold at the slave market. Though Solomon recovered, an illness like smallpox would have done permanent damage to his health.
1: We therefore can't rule out a natural death in the question of what might have happened to him.
0: To this day, no death records have ever been uncovered that spoke of Solomon Northup's death. That is not unusual since death records weren't kept in a reliable form until the 1880s, almost 20 years later. But other evidence suggests that if Solomon did die of natural causes while in Canada, his family was not notified of his death. Solomon Northup's father, Mintus, was buried in
1: upstate New York in a grave that was clearly marked and recorded. In his
0: book, Solomon wrote of his desire to be buried near him. Historians and their research teams have scoured the cemeteries in the area. Solomon Northup's biographers went through countless graveyards throughout the surrounding Saratoga area and found nothing indicating a grave belonging to Solomon. Solomon's descendants
1: have no knowledge or documentation regarding the death of their ancestor either.
0: Some believe this lack of a known burial or recorded death indicates foul play, but others disagree. If Solomon Northup had died of natural causes in a place where most people didn't know who he was, like Ontario, where he was last seen, it's likely that he would have been given a pauper's burial in an unmarked grave.
1: Depending on who may have found him, if he had died unexpectedly, some may not have wanted to put the effort into giving a black man a proper burial.
0: Even more rumors surfaced in the years following Northup's disappearance. Another theory that some have clung to that has survived through the centuries is that Solomon was actually working for the Union Army. Was Solomon Northup, who already had lived such an incredible and storied life, also a wartime spy?
1: Some theorize that after his last public appearance in Canada, Solomon traveled back to New York in 1857 where his abolitionist efforts gradually evolved into a job doing covert investigative work for the government, and after the war started, even joining the Union Army. There are a number of documented cases of black men and women working for the government and helping the Union Army, both in years leading up to
0: and during the Civil War. The most famous, of course, was Harriet Tubman. Tubman was a government scout during this time, along with many others. Solomon Northup was familiar with the South, at least the Louisiana region. His knowledge and experience could have proven valuable to the Union especially if they were looking for someone who knew how to blend in and pass as a slave. Certainly Northup would have fit that role perfectly, but would he have wanted to return to the South, risking both his life and his hard-won freedom? If
1: Northup wasn't motivated to work for the government by the cause alone, his children may have played a role in him deciding to work for the Union. Solomon's own son
0: was a Union soldier. Solomon's son Alonzo Northup enlisted in the Union Army near the start of the Civil War, joining a regiment called the United States Colored Troops. We know that Alonzo served in South Carolina, an area that would have been a dangerous place to be fighting. Solomon may have seen government spy work as the best way to help his only son along with slaves who hadn't been freed as he had.
1: One document was uncovered that may actually support this Union spy theory, though its credibility is questionable. In a 1947 article in the Syracuse post Standard, someone named Bertrand Snell wrote of his relative called Uncle Noel, who had been a Union Army officer during the Civil War
0: and told his nephew stories of his time at war. Uncle Noel said he had served with a man named Solomon Northup Who had been a slave before the war and quote finally run away and got up north and was living near albany when the war broke out end quote in his column bertrand snell went on to spin a fantastical tale he wrote that according
1: to uncle noel solomon northup had saved the life of none other than ulysses s grant in 1865 near the end of the civil war Noel and Solomon Northup had allegedly been stationed in Virginia together, and an attempt had been made on Grant's life in the middle of the night. The way Noel tells it, Solomon Northup saw the barrel of a gun glinting in the trees in the moonlight and pushed Grant to the ground before shooting the sniper down from a
0: tree. It's an amazing story. Yet historian David Fisk explains that it's almost certainly not a factual one, As much as we would love to be able to add saving the life of a United States president to the list of Solomon Northup's accomplishments.
1: An assassination attempt on Grant would have made the history books if it had occurred. And as for the Union officer, Uncle Noel? He was indeed a second lieutenant in the 110th New York Regiment, but his military service ended in 1862, long before the end of the war. He, therefore, would not have been in Virginia at the time. It was probably a story that Noel either made up or greatly exaggerated. If Noel's story is nothing more than a tall tale, then how likely is this Union spy theory?
0: Not very likely, unfortunately, primarily because Solomon Northup was so well-known at the time. It would have been difficult for Northup to take part in any covert operations, given the fact that he had, at this point, spent years in the public view, and there was always the possibility that he would be recognized. Even in the Deep South, the idea that Solomon could have easily flown under the radar after gaining such notoriety is far-fetched. The spy scenario would help account for his lifelong disappearance. If he were a spy working in enemy territory at the height of a violent war, he could have died or disappeared with no one knowing, and no records would have been made of it. But it's all conjecture.
1: There's little to no evidence to support the Union spy theory, as exciting and cinematic as it may sound.
0: But there's another stranger theory to explore. What if Solomon Northup never actually disappeared at all? First, though, there's something we want you to hear about. And now back to the story. Years after Solomon Northup's mysterious disappearance in 1857, a sixth theory about what happened to him eventually found its way into the newspapers. This was the theory that Solomon Northup lost all of his money, fell into destitution, and eventually became a traveling vagrant.
1: After spending 12 years living in slavery, Solomon Northup received no financial restitution. For his best-selling book, he made $3,000 for the copyright, which was roughly
0: $80,000 by today's standards. He used the $3,000 to purchase land near his daughter Margaret in Glens Falls, New York. We don't know what kind of compensation he might have been given for his speaking engagements, but it wasn't likely to have been high. Stories printed in the local newspaper suggest that
1: Northup may have been giving all he could afford, and in some cases, more than he could afford, to fugitive slaves who, like him, had fled lives of bondage. In 1854, one newspaper wrote that Northup, quote, was generous to his fugitive brethren, that he gives of his substance to those who have fled from slavery,
0: end quote. Was Solomon so affected by his experiences that he gave everything he had to fugitive slaves, leading him to becoming a homeless wanderer? We do know that he was likely to have been involved in aiding the efforts of the Underground Railroad in the 1850s, which means he would have been in contact with escaped slaves. A local New York newspaper
1: made the claim in 1855 that Northup left town without paying his bills. If Solomon did fall on hard times, it's unclear why he would have left his family, who still lived in the Saratoga area.
0: But when his wife Anne passed away in 1875, one obituary wrote that her husband Solomon had become what they described as a vagabond, suggesting that after he had fallen out of view of the public following his lecture circuit in 1857, he had lost all his money and eventually became a wanderer.
1: If Solomon Northup had become destitute and left his home in New York, it would be hard to find records or written evidence of his later years. But one place we might find evidence of this theory is in the United States Census.
0: From 1860 to 1870, the United States Census has records of Solomon Northup's family, including his wife and children, all living and working in New York. Solomon Northup is not mentioned in any of them. When his property was sold in 1863, his name wasn't listed anywhere on the documents. Because of this, some believe that Solomon Northup left his family in New York sometime before and that they had continued maintaining the property on their own. This would explain why Solomon's name is not on any of the property documents.
1: Anne Northup's obituaries in 1875 described her as a widow, but this may have only been due to a lack of any information about Solomon's whereabouts. After all, by 1875, Solomon would have been missing for almost 18 years, if he really had not been heard from since 1857.
0: After everything that Solomon Northup had lived through, one would have hoped that he would have been able to live out the rest of his life in peace. Fortunately, there is one more theory that some historians considered, that after his public disappearance in 1857, Solomon and Ann Northup lived out their lives as farmers in Vermont, staying hidden but happy. Solomon
1: first learned how to farm as a child and continued farming throughout his adult life. His father, Mintus, taught him how to farm land in upstate New York alongside his brother. And Solomon and his wife, Anne, worked in farming in the early years of their marriage. And, of course, Solomon had worked in the fields
0: of a cotton plantation for 10 years. The name Solomon Northup came up numerous times in agricultural publications in 1858, when a Wisconsin sheep farmer claimed he had purchased livestock from someone of that name in Vermont. There were no census records of any Northops living by that name in Vermont at the time, and Anne was recorded as being in New York. But the census was not always accurate, and Solomon Northup may have had reason to stay hidden.
1: Letters written by a man named John R. Smith actually did play Solomon in the state of Vermont long after his supposed disappearance in Ontario in 1857. Smith wrote that Solomon Northup had visited his father, a minister living in Vermont, after Abraham Lincoln wrote his famous Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. That six
0: years after Solomon disappeared from the public view. Since Smith's father was a known acquaintance of Northup's, it's unlikely the letter would have been referring to anyone else by that name.
1: The reason for Solomon and Anne's low profile may have been related to Solomon's work in assisting those traveling on the Underground Railroad. In
0: 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act was passed by the United States Congress. Soon after it passed, it was given the nickname, the Bloodhound Law, and with good reason. Bloodhound dogs were often used to track runaway slaves escaping north.
1: The effects of the Fugitive Slave Act were widespread, but most notably, it meant that anyone found to be assisting fugitive slaves could be prosecuted. The law was rarely enforced in states such as New York and Vermont, where slavery was illegal. But Solomon Northup may have felt that he and Anne needed to be more careful than most.
0: Northup's enemies, Birch, Russell, and Beryl included, may have been looking for an opportunity to put Northup behind bars. If Solomon was too open and too brazen in working with the Underground Railroad, their wish may have been granted. Could
1: Solomon and Anne have lived a quiet life as farmers in Vermont, all while giving much-needed aid to fugitive slaves? The evidence is scarce, but not completely lacking. We know that Anne died in New York in 1876, but if this theory is true, she could have lived with Solomon in Vermont and then moved back to New York in her later years to be closer to her adult children.
0: As we mentioned earlier, the census records state that Anne was in New York from 1860 to 1870, which would mean that she wasn't in Vermont at the time. But in the 1800s, census takers took information down from any member of the family, sometimes even neighbors or locals in the town. It's possible, then, that Anne's children, still living in New York at the time, could have given the census takers false information about where Anne was to protect her whereabouts. Why Solomon would not have been included in the ruse as well, we're not sure. A letter from the son of an
1: acquaintance and a few appearances in a farming publication admittedly aren't much, but they're the only known mentions of Solomon's whereabouts after 1857. However, since the evidence is so sparse, this theory may not
0: hold as much water as we might hope. This is one of the main difficulties historians run into when trying to find the truth about Solomon. Not only were systematic records from the time almost non-existent, But after 1857, any information pertaining to Solomon seemed to change at will depending on who was asked. From being kidnapped and enslaved once more, to becoming a traveling vagabond, newspapers and first-hand accounts vary drastically. This may
1: have been due to Solomon Northup's status as a public figure. Then, just as now, the public loved a good story with lots of twists and turns. Papers may have played up gossip without any hard evidence, for dramatic effect, muddling the actual truth of what happened to Solomon.
0: So, what is the truth? What became of the incredible figure who not only survived 12 excruciating years of slavery, but then chose to fight tooth and nail against his oppressors in the years that followed? We may never know for
1: sure. Given the political climate of the mid-1800s and the lack of reliable record-keeping, so much has been lost to time, especially for those like Solomon, who didn't have the rights and privileges that they should have been afforded.
0: My gut tells me that he died a natural death. It isn't the most thrilling or mysterious theory, but it does seem to make the most sense, all things considered. Solomon Northup's biographers all lean toward this theory. If Solomon's health had suffered after his 12 years in slavery, he did almost die of smallpox after all, it's likely that it would have caught up with him. If this happened at an inopportune time when he was traveling outside of the safety of a place where he was known, his death would have been akin to vanishing into thin air.
1: I'm not so sure it was as simple as a natural death. Think about his past and the people who were still out there that had reason to want him dead. The mysterious circumstances surrounding his disappearance, combined with his turbulent past, has me believing that he might have been killed. Whether his death was at the hands of the men responsible for his enslavement or those who opposed his cause, I don't know. But I think someone
0: wanted him gone. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree. Solomon Northup's legacy has left a permanent mark on American history. The courage and persistence that Solomon maintained throughout his life is something that cannot be called into question, even as the facts surrounding his later years continue to be shrouded in mystery.
1: It's only regrettable that layers of uncertainty surround the final days of a man who had already endured so much. We can only hope that one day, more evidence is uncovered that puts Solomon's mysterious disappearance to rest. The final, unwritten chapter in Solomon Northup's life may be discovered yet. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you want to find more episodes, or any of ParCast's other podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: Many of you have asked us how you can help the show. If you enjoy the show... The best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. You can also tell us your theories on
1: Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, on Twitter at Network, or at ParCast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admeyer and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Becky Tinker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.